Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. This is the Tom Hartman Program. So, welcome to the program, by the way. Thank you so much for for listening or watching or however you may be getting our program today. How do we prevent the next grifter-in-chief? How do we prevent the next grifter-in-chief? Got any thoughts? I mean, after the Nixon... Bribery scandals and, and, you know, everything else. I mean, in my mind, the Nixon bribery scandals were the biggest part of Watergate. They were generally considered a footnote because of the political stuff that was going on. But, you know, he was bribed by the milk lobby. He was bribed by Jimmy Hoffa. God only knows who else he was taking bribes from. Nixon was on the take and people regularly were walking into the White House with briefcases filled with $100 bills. Or maybe they were $1,000 bills back then. I think they hadn't taken it out of circulation at that point. And, I mean, he got a half a million dollars from the milk lobby in a briefcase. He got a million dollars from Jimmy Hoffa in a briefcase. That was Richard Nixon. So Congress, after Nixon left office, now those things were already arguably illegal, but Congress really tightened things up and they said, no, we're not going to do this anymore, right? And and we're going to put individual contribution limits on, we're going to control corporate contributions, we're going to start controlling the flow of cash into the political system. And that all happened in 1974, 75, 76. And then in 1976, the Supreme Court took a meat axe to it. The Supreme Court ruled in their Buckley decision, no, you can't stop rich people from giving money to politicians. All they have to do is declare it, right? And they don't even have to declare it in a way that anybody will know before the election. And then two years later, they said, oh, and this is in the Buckley versus Bellotti decision in 78. They said, oh, you can't stop corporations from giving money to politicians. And ever since then, the Republican Party and a few of the Democrats It used to be more, now it's less, and the numbers are shrinking every day. But the entire Republican Party has been on the take from right-wing billionaires and giant corporations. And so now we're in a situation where Donald Trump is pushing a pardon for himself and his grifter family and and the grifters who surround him. And Mitch McConnell is pushing a pardon for the corporations that have been killing sickening, disabling, and abusing their employees. 
They're both all, all about pardons. I mean, we have had administrations where family members were brought in, right? Uh, Bobby Kennedy was the attorney general for Jack Kennedy. But nobody ever in their wildest dreams thought that Bobby Kennedy would need a pardon for crimes he committed while he was working in the White House. Nobody ever thought that. But Ivanka and Jared, oh my God. Just Jared going over to the Middle East to hustle a billion dollars out of one of our allies that we are now shipping F-35s to after there'd been a congressional moratorium to not milita- further militarize the Middle East. I, I, you put that at the top of the list. I mean, we've got, uh, you know, this family of grifters in the White House. November 3rd, the election. Since that election, Donald Trump has raised $170 million. He's not running for office. He's raised $170 million. I got four more fundraisers from him, fundraising emails from him in the mail this morning. I mean, some of them came in overnight, right? And Trump has given top secret information to foreign adversaries. He's embraced dictators and autocrats around the world. He's enthusiastically damaged our relationships with our allies. I mean, it's almost like he's working for a foreign government. And now we're experiencing, we we just had 3,000 people die in a day in the United States. That's 9-11. We're having Donald Trump and his lack of action on the coronavirus while Taiwan and South Korea and Japan and Australia and New Zealand, they're all looking at COVID death rates of less than two people per 100,000. We're at 47 people per 100,000. I mean, it's like 20 times more. And why? Because they took the virus seriously and Donald Trump wanted to play golf. And honest to God, that's it. He spent you know, half his presidency on his own golf courses, squeezing government money into his businesses while he's out on the links instead of taking care of the business of the country. Our healthcare system is collapsing. The economy's been shredded. But, but right in the middle of this, every day, Americans all across the country are getting multiple fundraising appeals from Trump. It's just a giant grift. And this is nuts. This grift really, you know, it started with Reagan. Gingrich did it in a big way in the 1990s when he had his contract on America and six of the 10 items were all pointing to the same piece of legislation that cut taxes on rich people and big corporations. You know, the the Republicans, government can't do anything grift, is now right out there in the open. Everybody can see it. It's killed over a quarter million Americans. It's led to open, naked, unabashed criminality in the White House. I mean, even second and third level functionaries in the Trump White House are breaking the law. The Hatch Act at the top of the list, but there's a whole bunch of other ones. Trump wants his pardons for himself and his criminal cronies. McConnell wants pardons for the corporations that give him money, the big meatpacking plants and warehouse operations. And they're both probably going to get away with it. Which means that the new Congress has to do something about the corruption of money in our government. So, number one. Number two, Republicans think, I I really should say conservatives think, because this actually is part of a conservative worldview. But um, I don't think that there's any Republicans left who don't call themselves conservatives. You used to have the, you know, the Bob Packwood Republicans who call themselves liberals. They're, they're, they're long gone. Um, 
So anyhow, Republicans think that the only way that you can guarantee that somebody's going to behave in a way that is positive is to frighten or threaten them. Seriously, think about this for a minute. This was the rationale. John Kelly laid it out when he was chief of staff for Donald Trump. He said, if we don't punish those children coming across the border looking for asylum here, the refugees, if we don't punish them, more will come. We need to punish them in such a severe way that the world travels, to, the word travels to Central and South America that you will be hurt if you go to America. And that philosophy still holds. That's still, you know, Stephen Miller, Donald Trump, all of them, that's still their philosophy. The only way to motivate people is to punish them. And therefore, the Trump administration is holding back phone numbers and addresses that they could be giving to these children or the guardians of these children about where their parents are. They're intentionally keeping these families separated as we're going into Christmas, for God's sake. They do the same thing with workers. This is why Republicans are opposed to unemployment insurance. They think that if the government is paying you, you won't have an incentive to have a job. You know, which is just patently wrong. I mean, it might be true for a very tiny percentage of people, but the vast majority of people want something meaningful. They want to have work. But the Republicans, they believe that you got to punish people. And that's why they want to let the unemployment benefits expire at the end of this month. I see these all as kind of the same story, which is the ongoing corruption by uh, the billionaire class, giant corporations, and right-wing hacks in the Republican Party, a few of them in the Democratic Party, but, you know, they're few and far between increasingly, thank God. Miller and Trump are refusing to release the phone numbers and addresses that they have been able to find for the parents of children that they are holding in detention or that they have put into foster care, or that they have already adopted out, or that they have, God only knows, I mean, there are people speculating that they have sold them into child trafficking. You know, that's a little out there, but hey, when it's thousands of children and nobody's keeping track of anything, anything's possible. And that same philosophy is why Republicans oppose unemployment benefits. It's why they oppose housing benefits. It's why they oppose food stamps. It's why they oppose Social Security. It's why they oppose Medicare. It's particularly why they oppose Medicaid and Obamacare, because they believe that if you don't have housing, food, or health care, that will so sufficiently motivate you that you'll go out and get a job to provide those things to you. Sadly, well over half the jobs in America don't pay enough to provide housing, don't offer health care, and don't have any job security, probably more than half nowadays. So it's, it's really easy to point out that their whole philosophy is just sick. It's sick and twisted. It, it, it is Thomas Hobbes on steroids. I mean, Thomas Hobbes, kind of the father of the conservative movement in a way. And it's just Hobbes who said that the nature of man is evil, essentially. Without the iron fist of church and state, the life of man will be nasty, short, and brutish. Right? This is their world. And this is why they bow so quickly to the iron fist of Donald Trump. These people are authoritarian followers 
who are following an ideology that says that wealthy people and big corporations are literally the new monarchs. And we need to listen to them. We need to trust them. We need to let them pick our politicians because they know what's best. And the proof of that is that they've got all that money. It's 21st century neo-Calvinism. Meanwhile, the CDC just reported that the true coronavirus death toll, this is again another example of this, is now 400,000. The CDC, when they're looking at unexplained deaths, right now, deaths nationwide, this is from the CDC itself, quote, Deaths nationwide were 19% higher than normal from March 15 to November 14. Altogether, the analysis shows that 345,000 more people than normal have died in the United States during that period, a number that may be an undercount since recent death statistics are still being updated. Why? Because Donald Trump is using Ronald Reagan's philosophy of the government can't do anything right. This isn't the government's job. Government's job is to punish people. Run prisons, fund the police, have a tough-ass military. That's it. That's the government's job. So if people are getting sick, good luck, guys. You have more incentive to work. And the giant corporations are like, (laughs) more terrified workers that we can pay $7.25 an hour and no benefits to. Yeah. You get it? I mean, even the coronavirus, even the response of this administration to the coronavirus is completely consistent with Reaganism and William F. Buckleyism and George Willism and, you know, all these conservative thinkers. You cannot provide safety and security to people because if you do, they won't go to work. Franklin Roosevelt and Lyndon Johnson, on the other hand, said, you know, If people have decent housing, if they have access to health care, if they have access to good, safe food, clean air and water, you know, in other words, they have a foundation to stand on, then they will not only be enthusiastic about going to work, but then they'll do things like starting new businesses and energize the economy and revive our economy. And frankly, Franklin Roosevelt and Lyndon Johnson created a, an, an, a social safety net, a foundation on which people stood, I certainly did on numerous occasions, on which people stood so they could take the next step. They didn't need to, to have a red hot poker stuck in their back. All they needed was a floor to stand on. But Republicans are like, oh no, you can't give people a floor to stand on. That's, that's not conservative. FDR said, a necessitous man is not a free man. You're not free if you're hungry. You're not free if you're homeless. You're not free if you don't have a job and can't find a decent job. He was right. So anyhow, let's pick up some of your phone calls here. Michael in Howe, Michigan. Hey, Michael, what's on your mind? I believe the Republican Party is basically corruption, that they don't really have a philosophy. Their philosophy is just making money. Because if you look at all their rants that you gave us in the last few minutes, it all leads back to ways in which the wealthy can make more money. And I'm not convinced that we need reconciliation, you know, something like South Africa did, or even in court cases. I think we need this to really, it's a real problem. It's, this corruption is really rooted deep. 
I think there's a fundamental difference, Michael, between South Africa and the United States. In South Africa, you had for 200 years a white culture that believed their white supremacist BS and used the power of law to enforce it. And at a certain point, that white minority concluded, came to the realization, were forced to the realization, however you want to characterize it, that they were wrong and that everybody should have a say in their society. Everybody should have a job. We shouldn't have the barriers between black and white, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But those people who had been rigorously enforcing those laws, like de Klerk, right up until you know the, the moment that that ended, something had to be done with them. But they weren't doing it. I mean, they were doing it because they were racists, true, but they grew up believing that. They had the whole infrastructure of scientific and other rationalizations, pseudoscientific, you know, that supported it. And so I don't think you could say that they were criminal in their intent. Whereas here in the United States, in the Republican Party and the Donald Trump administration, you have these, uh, to your point, Michael, you have people who are just openly criminals. They're grifters. I mean, look at how many of Trump's close associates have been indicted or put in prison so far. Uh, look at how many went to jail with Reagan. Reagan had the most people go to jail of any administration in history. I think it was 50 some odd. Trump is probably going to beat him. Uh, Nixon had a bunch of guys go to jail. It's like every Republican presidency, you end up with a whole bunch of people going to jail because as you said, Michael, they have no governing philosophy, except that, you know, the Chicago school, uh, Milton Friedman stuff about the market is the wonderful thing. Let the market solve all problems. Just get government out of the way. Just destroy that government. Steve Bannon, deconstruct the, the administrative state, tear apart the federal government, which Trump has done. And the result, we have 245,000 dead Americans right now. Or more than that, actually. It's 200, what, 270,000 today? After World War II, the Allies went into Germany and started a program called Denazification of Germany. And I think yep. we're sort of at that point. What I mean by that is that the corruption is so deep that it penetrates all kinds of our universities, the University of Chicago theory, research institutions. Let me just put a punctuation mark on what you're saying. We need denazification here in the United States. Yes. That's all I have to add. You're right. We do. We've got literal friggin' Nazis out there, you know, celebrating Hitler, wearing swastikas, tattooing them on their arms. Michael, thank you. One of the most poignant videos I saw recently was of a nurse, or no, a doctor, a Jewish doctor, who was treating a guy with COVID who had swastikas tattooed all over his body. And he helped save the guy's life. listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. Or maybe the guy died at the end, but he cared for him. I don't remember the outcome, but I mean, this, we've got Nazis in America. How about denazification? Great idea, Michael. Gary in Naples, Florida. Hey, Gary, thanks for watching us on Free Speech TV. What's up? We're led by a carnival barker. He's nothing more. The liar in chief is a carnival barker. Nothing more, nothing less. The unfortunate part, though, he has mm -hmm. a cult following now. That's what the problem is. Yeah, I agree. Franklin Delano Roosevelt, in closing, a quote by Franklin Delano Roosevelt that was my favorite. There's a reason why he was reelected four times. I know it was a long time ago, but it's so very, very relevant today. He had the right philosophy, not only in government, he had the right philosophy in life. 
a man of humility and compassion. And here's what his philosophy was. Government can err. Presidents can make mistakes. But we are told that divine justice weighs the sins of the cold-blooded and the sins of the warm-hearted on a different scale. Better the occasional fault of a government living in the spirit of charity than the consistent omissions of a government frozen in the ice of its own indifference. We must break the back of greed once more. Or we won't go anywhere. It's brilliant. In reality. That's it's what brilliant. I believe. Yeah. Yeah. I, I completely agree with you. And, and uh, I believe that was from his first inaugural address, wasn't it? Yeah, I think you're right. 33. And it's the favorite of, favorite of mine. Yeah. First heard it by Walter Mondale. I was coming back from Cleveland, Ohio. We're in the height of Watergate. And Mondale was on for a Saturday address by the Democrats. And he quoted that quote by Frank Danella Roosevelt that says it all. And it's more true today. Yeah, brilliant. Gary, thank you. Always have something great for the show. Cassandra in Camas, Washington. Hey, Cassandra, what's up? I was going to say it comes down to calling things what they are to prevent the next, you know, you, you can punish after the fact, but what do you do preventatively? It always comes back to the same thing. I, I want to pinpoint, but it's education. I, I would like to say it's words, vocabulary, calling things what they are. You know, instead of calling people conservatives, call them elitists and calling someone Democrat. They're really corporatists, you know, today. I'm not talking about what the mm -hmm. original intent yeah. may have been, but what it is now. But words, while they hold so much power, they can be twisted. They are being twisted constantly. So uh, is a regulatory commission of some sort that's stricter than what we have now for media going to be necessary? Of course, there's a lot of things. But basically, fundamentally, education. Why do so many of us not fall for the garbage they're spending out? Because we've been educated enough that we understand the twists that they're trying to use with words. We need a revolution in our media and our education system. We need to undo the damage that Bill Bennett did back in the 80s. Tim in St. Cloud, Minnesota. Hey, Tim, what's on your mind? Uh, thank you very much, Mr. Tom Harmon, for taking the call. I appreciate your uh, your dignity. Uh, diligence. Um, but anyway, um, the reason I'm calling is I want to tell you about how I was a Republican my entire life until I became a homeless veteran. And Whoa. when I became okay. a homeless yeah, veteran, story. it was, uh, I, th I think it was kind of a thing uh, growing up. I'm the youngest of 16 children. So, uh, and we were always, you know, born and raised into capitalism, I guess. And um, and I, I just I became a homeless veteran, and right then and there, I decided that I was going to change my life around, and it turned out for the best for me. I'm glad to hear it. So, how did that lead you to abandon the Republican Party and embrace the Democratic Party? Uh, I, I think well, well, see, um, I was I was a federal 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 employee, um, so I was mm -hmm. uh, one of those uh, you know federal technicians. So I was always like, uh, okay, the Republicans, okay, yeah, they're going to put money into the military. They're going to put money in the military. I'm, I'm not going to lose my job. I'm not going to lose my job. And then once I became a homeless veteran, it was it just all turned around. It was like, uh, mm. you, you know what I mean? It was it was just one of them things to where yeah. it was like, uh, I, I don't want that anymore. And uh, yeah, and yeah, it yeah. just it just kind of made me think about other people rather than just thinking about myself. 
Well, I think that's the essence of the difference. You know, the the motto of the Republican Party could be, you know, what Margaret Thatcher famously said, which is there's no such thing as society. There's only a collection of individuals. In other words, me, me, me. I got mine. Screw you. That could be the motto of the Republican Party. The motto of the Democratic Party is we're all family. We're here for each other. Let's help one another out, right? Yes. Let's help one another out. Absolutely. I just felt a whole different aspect of looking at different people and understanding where they are coming from and where I am coming from and where I was and where I am now. And I am so happy that I was able to, I was so happy that I was able to come out of that. Tim, I got to move along, but thank you very much for sharing your story. It's great talking with Anthony in Port Orchard, Washington. What's on your mind, Anthony? I really think right-wing media brainwashes their listeners. I ran for Congress about 10 years ago in Arizona as an independent, and so I did all the radio shows around town, and I was on with the conservative radio host, a local guy, and he was telling his listeners that if you didn't fill out the census, Obama was going to lock you up in a camp. He was telling people that the reason they didn't make $20 an hour is because minimum wage, that only let your boss pay you $7.50 or whatever minimum wage was. And I told him, I called him out on his lies. I said, you can't tell people that stuff. I said, those are out-and-out lies. And I said, these people tune in to listen to you, and they take what you're saying as the gospel. And he said, I am entertainment, not news. He said, I can't be held. And he's saying this on air. He said, I cannot be held to account for the stupidity of my listeners. He said, if they're dumb well, enough Sean Hannity essentially I, said the same thing a couple days ago. You know, I, I don't fact check the things that I say. He came right yeah, out and said and, it. And, you know, it's just bizarre. I mean, here Flynn comes out saying we need to suspend the Constitution, declare martial law, have a new election. And the, the right wing people all over Facebook and everything, it's wonderful. That's a fabulous idea. But you ask them to wear a mask. They bring out their guns, they protest, and get their don't tread on me flags. I mean, how crazy is that? It makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. And I believe it's because they have perfected brainwashing. They did what the Nazis did. Mm -hmm. They did what the Soviets did. They have perfected propaganda. I mean, from the time the local guys come on in the morning to the guys at Fox are done, they all have the same points. If you listen to them sometimes, they all talk about the same exact thing all day long. Yeah. And it just gets yeah. it just gets reinforced, reinforced. Unions fault that you don't make a good wage. If we get rid of unions, you'll get better wages. They make them believe it. Right, which is a wage. lie. Yeah, and nobody that I ever know that's been in a right to work state has ever gotten a raise or better benefits that nobody else did because that was the lie they told your boss could now give you a raise and nobody else never happened you know they tell them minimum wage is bad they believe it i can't believe they've sold poor people in kentucky and other rural areas trickle down economics and they (laughs) it's really sad they buy it they buy it i just well, it's, it's because, you know, there's a, there's a real simple reason for this, Anthony, and that is that uh, talk radio is such an intimate medium. I mean, it's like, a, mm-hmm. it's like a phone call, you know, and people get to know talk radio hosts and, and they think of them as uh, sort of in the category of friends. 
Ad Age did a survey back 20 years ago, and they found that 92% of Americans will trust information from friends more than they will even from celebrities, you know, celebrity endorsements and things. And this was in the context of advertising, but it's the same thing. And so these hosts build a trust relationship with their listeners and then violate that by lying to them on a daily basis. You're right. Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant-quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef-to-you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity and what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance, so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's, or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey, it's the Tom Hartman University Book Club, and today we're reading from Robert Draper's book, When the Tea Party Came to Town. It was actually the original title of this book when it first came out was called Do Not Ask What Good We Do. And this is the only book that tells the story of how the Republicans got together the night that Barack Obama was being inaugurated and decided that for the next four or eight years, they were going to do everything they could to destroy our first black president's presidency. And so I'm reading from the prologue. And he's talking about how Frank Luntz had organized that dinner that I was just mentioning. He was very happy about that. The dinner tables were set in a square. This was at the Caucus Room restaurant in a private dining room, a little restaurant down at the corner of 9th and D Street. The dinner tables were set in a square at Luntz's request so that everyone could see each other and talk freely. He asked that Gingrich speak first. Gingrich was happy to oblige. This was their plan. You know, what their party had done from 94 to 2000, what the Democrats had done from 2006 and 2008, the Republicans would once do again. They would take back the House in November 2010, then they would use the House as the Republican spear point to mortally wound President Obama in 2011. They would do this and retake the House and the Senate in 2012. They would do all this, but only if the American voter blessed them to do so. It made no sense they all agreed to attack Obama personally. He was too popular. Got to be about ideas, said Eric Cantor. Democrats now controlled everything and were already with a monstrously priced economic stimulus package showing their true colors. Given time, they'd screw things up, as the GOP had. But, said Paul Ryan, everyone's got to stick together. 
Ryan, a 38-year-old Wisconsin congressman and numbers fetishist, whose shiny earnestness recalled an Aussie and Harriet America. Ryan hated squabbling among conservatives, the paleos versus the neos, the socials against the moderates, and on and on for as long as he'd been on the Hill, which was most all of his adult life. Ryan had long sought to be the Republican Party's glue, pleading for adherence to principles and data. At times, he looked like the underfed, hollow-eyed child of alcoholic parents. The only way we'll succeed is if we're united, Ryan told the others. If we tear ourselves apart, we're finished. But, he added, he liked what he was hearing now. Everyone at the table sounded like a genuine conservative. It was a place to start. If you act like you're the minority, you're going to stay in the minority, said Kevin McCarthy. We got to challenge them on every single bill and challenge them on every single campaign. That's Kevin McCarthy. Luntz viewed McCarthy as one of the Republican Party's emerging stars, an easygoing, unthreatening guy who understood that language and appearance mattered as much as substance. Nonetheless, the polar and media guru interjected a cautionary note. Uh, One of the worst political performances I've ever seen, he said, was when the Democrats took over the House in 2007 and Nancy Pelosi shut out the Republicans and everyone whined about it. If any of you behave that way, I'll go on TV and hold you accountable. Luntz tended to get carried away, but everyone knew he had a point. Senator John Kyle began to focus on immediate tactics. He pointed out that Tim Geithner, Obama's nominee to be Secretary of the Treasury, had failed to pay his Social Security and Medicare taxes during his three-year employment at the International Monetary Fund. Kyle sat on the Senate Finance Committee, which would be conducting Geithner's confirmation hearings the next morning. The Arizona senator intended to go after the nominee. I'd like to hear your thoughts on the approach I should take, he said to the others. There was a pattern here, Gingrich pointed out. Charlie Rangel, the new House and Ways chairman, a House Ways and Means Committee chairman hadn't paid taxes on his rental property income in more than two decades. Randall and Geithner would be wielding more power over how taxpayer dollars would be spent than anyone else in America. And then there's the web, chimed in McCarthy. There are freshmen who accept campaign money from Wrangell. They're caught in the web. McCarthy suggested that they waste no time smacking down the New Democrats for the tack ads. The dinner lasted nearly four hours. They parted company almost giddily. The Republicans had finally agreed on a way forward. Go after Geithner, and indeed Kyle did the next day. Do you answer my question rather than dancing around it, please? Show united and unyielding opposition to the president's policies. Eight days later, Minority Whip Cantor would hold the House Republicans to a unanimous no against Obama's economic stimulus plan. Begin attacking vulnerable Democrats on the airwaves. First Democratic National Republican Congressional Committee attacks would run in fewer than two months. Win the spear point of the House in 2010, jab Obama relentlessly in 2011, win the White House and the Senate in 2012. You will remember this day, Newt Gingrich proclaimed to the others as they said goodbye. You'll remember this as the day the seeds of 2012 were sown. Well, not so much, but I'd say that this is when the seeds of 2016 were sown. Forgotten or at least not discussed that night in the caucus room was what had been sown in America by January 20th, 2009. That was the day the meeting happened, the day that President Obama was sworn into office. On that evening, while the ruling party celebrated in tuxedos and the minority party retrenched over steaks and red wine, U.S. unemployment rate had climbed to 7.6%, the highest such indicator of national misery in 18 years. Things could get much worse. Joblessness in America would exceed 8% the following month. By May 2009, the number would climb to 9.4%, and by October, to 10.2%. And it goes on. It's a great book. Robert Draper, When the Tea Party Came to Town.
Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. One other thing I wanted to point out to you is uh, Judd Legum in his popular.info newsletter today. Uh, That's the website, popular.info, if you want to sign up for it. Uh, His title is Death by Eviction. He says, in Milwaukee County, Wisconsin, 244 families have been evicted from their homes just since September 4th. Just last week, landlords filed 2,358 eviction cases in 27 cities. This is a Princeton University uh, uh, group that is tracking this, the eviction lab, they call it. Um, They did an analysis. This was a new study by public health researchers at John Hopkins and UCLA at the consequence of the expiration of these moratoriums on eviction. Because the federal ones, the CDC one was pretty toothless and meaningless, and and the state ones have been strong, but they're expiring. And they have been expiring ever since June, uh, in different months, different states, but they're expiring. And uh, Judd Legum says the, the results are chilling. This is from the study, quote, Lifting eviction moratoriums amounted to an estimated 433,700 excess COVID cases and 10,700 excess deaths just between March 13 and September 3rd. Uh, These fatalities occurred across 27 states that lifted their eviction moratoriums. In Texas alone, for example, the study found that there were more than 4,456 people who died, excess deaths, after the state lifted its eviction moratorium. Why is that? Well, because when you get homeless, typically the first place that people try to go if they're homeless is family or friends, which means congregate living. You got more people under the same roof. Somebody gets the virus and boom, it just rips through. And then secondly, a lot of these people actually end up on the street. They end up literally homeless. And for people who even haven't gotten out of their houses, haven't been thrown out of their houses, They still have to pay the rent. And in that regard, we see that uh, there's been a 70% increase this year over last year, people paying their rent with credit cards. 70% increase. When somebody starts paying their rent with their credit card, I mean, there's a few people who routinely do it because they want the frequent flyer miles or something. You know, they got one of these credit cards that gives you goodies. But generally speaking, when people are paying their rent with their credit cards, it's because they don't have any savings. They are out of money. They can't afford it and they're creating massive debt that they're going to pay 30% interest on. And this is, this is from a study by NPR. The last time Congress passed a COVID relief bill that had, uh, you know, it was over seven months ago, uh, the, the, the new bill that, that the problem solvers group, uh, problem makers, Mark Pocan calls them these, Uh, Republican and Democratic moderates. But, you know, hey, something's better than nothing, in my opinion. Uh, $908 billion package uh, includes $25 billion in rental assistance. It's not enough. We need about $100 billion, given what's going on right now. But it's a start. Uh, The best estimate is that uh, right, right now, renters owe over $70 billion in unpaid rent. The CEO of the National Low-Income Housing Coalition, uh, Diane Yentl, said that it would take at least $100 billion in rental assistance to keep people from losing their homes. So Mitch McConnell proposed a bill you know, for COVID assistance that has a dramatic zero dollars for rental assistance and housing assistance. Zero. 
Now, the, the Democrats had already pushed a bill that provided 50, have already passed a bill in the House of Representatives. And this wasn't the $3 trillion HEROES Act. This was the $2 trillion we'll compromise with you and cut a, a trillion dollars of benefits out act. Uh, $50 billion in rental aid for people at risk of eviction, $5 billion in homeless assistance grants. And Mitch McConnell said, no, won't do it, won't even allow a discussion of it. It's amazing. Absolutely amazing. James in Montgomery, Alabama. Hey, James, what's on your mind? Uh, Professor Hartman, the master of progressive university on the radio. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks, James. I, uh, <laughs> I just, I'm still blown away uh, talking about Mitch McConnell. One of his constituents participated earlier, and yes. I think we learned everything we need to know. Well, this is the sad uh, thing, Jim. We've had, I am on a regular basis. I mean, you're listening to me on Sirius XM. Sirius XM has a couple of conservative channels and they got a great progressive channel, 127, right here, Sirius Progress. And so I am all constantly telling, you know, I, and I know that there's conservatives who listen to this show on that channel. And I'm constantly saying, hey, if you're a conservative and you, want, and you think I'm wrong about something, call me up, put you on the air, we'll have a reasonable debate. And the last four conservatives who've called in over the last, what, two weeks, each one of them has dropped an obscenity on the air. And it's not like they're trying to punk me. It's not like they're calling up to do it. It's just that as soon as you point out their BS, they lose control and start using words that they know shouldn't be on the air. It's like, what happened to self-control? The real tragedy is that these people have the right to vote. I mean, and yeah. they're well, turning no, out. I think everybody should have the right to vote. Uh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, James. I don't want to. I don't want to cut people's right to vote. I don't want to cut their their right to listen to right wing talk radio. I think we just need to educate people. We need to be talking back. We need to be using the airwaves, you know, appropriately. John in Tampa, Florida. Hey, John, what's on your mind? Tom, I'm wondering if you think that Biden is up to making the big changes that we need in the future, or it's going to be another, you know, like Obama thing with just moderation, don't push too hard, don't do nothing extravagant, just steady with what we've had, which is not really working. We're going to find out, John. The thing that encourages me is that Franklin Roosevelt basically in 1932 ran for president on a platform of, of uh, more free trade and balancing the budget. <laughs> and, and, look at what he d and look at what he did when yeah, he got into office. You're right. On the other hand, the right. thing that discourages me is that Barack Obama, yeah. when he initially ran for president, ran on a campaign of single-payer yeah. health care and, yeah. and radical change. Not radical. He didn't say the word radical. But, you know, substantive yeah. change in the United States. And, right, change you uh, could believe in. It's, right, yeah. I realize, you know, he only had 74 days where he could get anything done, and he got a hell of a lot done in those 74 right. days. But, you know, he did not use the power of the bully pulpit even to defend his Supreme Court nominee. He could have been out there every single day yelling about it the way Donald Trump is right now. And he probably would have gotten Mitch McConnell to back down. 
But um, so, uh, you know, there's there's like these two role models for Democratic presidents. Bill Clinton, the same thing. Bill Clinton wanted to do uh, yeah. health care reform. You know, it got shot down. He backed off. In fact, Bill Clinton yeah. started singing the Republican song, you know, talking about yeah. welfare. We're going to end welfare as we know it. And, and uh, in his second inaugural address, he said the era, era of big government is over and all this kind oh, of BS that comes out of these Republicans. And so I am concerned but I also know that politicians don't start parades. Politicians don't walk out onto the street and lift up a flag and say, this is my parade. These are my people. You know, Donald Trump, for his entire life, would look at somebody from Kentucky wearing a MAGA hat and say, yeah. that person's never going to come into my Mar-a-Lago. I'm not gonna, never going to let that person in my club. I'm not going yeah. to invite that person to a party. But when oh, he yeah. saw that there was a parade going on, when he when he started to his his racist, uh, you know, we got a black man in the White House and that's impossible in America. It couldn't be. He must be a stalking horse. Must be that Kenya had something to do with it. Foreign powers putting uh. in, you know, trying to delegitimize him. When when Trump started that, he discovered that there was a friggin parade that no politician in America was addressing, was was leading. Yeah. And that was the parade of, of uh, people who are white, who are fundamentally racist, and, and who are economically terrified because 40 years of Reaganomics have gutted the American middle class, particularly yeah, right. rural and, and, and suburban middle class, but particularly rural America. But we've deindustrialized this country as a result yes. of the trade deals that, that Nixon and Reagan championed. I mean, keep in mind, George Herbert Walker Bush wrote the NAFTA deal. Yes, Bill Clinton signed it, but it yeah. was a Bush. This was always Republican deals. And so, yeah. so Trump is looking at this going, okay, if I blow up the Republican ideology and say I'm against free trade, which has always been the Republican thing, it's the Democrats like Sherrod Brown and Bernie Sanders who are saying we should have protectionist policies, we shouldn't be making all our stuff in China. So Trump comes along and says, okay, there's this parade that's being ignored by both parties, people who want economic protection and they're racists, <laughs> basically. They, yeah. they, they don't yeah. want black people moving right. into the suburbs. This was his whole pitch just, just recently. Yeah. And so I think that, you know, he, he, got, he got that parade going. And the question is, yeah. uh, you know, will we create a big enough parade that Joe Biden will say, damn, there's a lot of people out there who want a Green New Deal and who want health care, Medicare, you know, Medicare for all, and who want student debt done away with. And if he gets that, and if the parade is big enough, and we're part of that, then we might get what we want. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. Netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. 
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Over on Medium, Aaron Huerta's uh, Medium.com, he points out the title of the piece is No, Trump Does Not Represent Half the Country. And he points out that uh, conservatives and commentators and, and even regular news people on the, on the networks are saying, well, you know, liberals, you need to listen to the other half of the country. Right? Half the country voted for Trump. So you've got slightly less than half, but you've got to listen to these people. You've got to take them seriously. And this is just, you know, this is their way of saying, stop pushing for a Green New Deal. Stop pushing for Medicare for all. Stop pushing for a cleaner environment. Stop pushing, you know, for, for extended unemployment benefits and housing supports and things like that. Stop doing all that stuff because you need to listen to the people who voted for Trump. They're half the country. Well, let's just do some simple math. Trump got 74 million votes. That's 22% of the country. In the Republican primary, he got 14 million votes. That's 4.5% of the country. The people who watch Fox News, oh, we've got to consider their feelings. They are, you know, 3.5 million people. That's 1% of the country. People who attend all of Trump's rallies, you add them all up together, they represent four-tenths of one percent of the country. And, you know, if you think of all the times that you've seen these guys in the Trump red hats on TV where people are seriously, well, what do you think? Who are you going to vote for? What does America think now when what they mean really is white, racist, right-wing America? If you look at the numbers, they represent less than one-half of one percent of America. So why do these conservatives keep saying, well, half the country? Well, obviously, it's, be- it's because they want us to take seriously these obscene and absurd ideas that immigrants won't stop coming to the United States until you punish them when the easy solution is, A, let's have some compassion for people who are actual refugees. We always have. B, let's help those countries these people are coming from get their act together so their people aren't fleeing. And C, let's go back to enforcing the labor laws that were enforced prior to 1986 when Reagan stopped enforcing them, and no president has started since then, that say that when an employer hires somebody who's not a citizen, who's not legally eligible to work, that employer can go to jail or at least get a large fine. And you do those simple things and you've solved your so-called illegal immigrant problem. But, oh no, we've got we've to be hysterical about this, right? We've got to punish these people. Because punish is always the first instinct of conservatives. Nurture is always the first instinct of liberals. I mean, it really is that difference. Liberals believe that Human beings are fundamentally good. Obviously, there's some among us, you know, the Charlie Mansons of the world, who are so damaged, and the Donald Trumps of the world, so damaged that you really can't call them good. In fact, you might call them evil. 
but at its core, humanity is good. The majority of people are good. And we can trust the majority of people. That's, that's the liberal worldview. It's the one that, that John Locke laid out in 1765. It's the one that Thomas Jefferson laid out in the Declaration of Independence. It's the one that we have held as the pole star for this country since we became a, a, a democratic republic in 1789. This is us. We believe in the goodness of people. But you've got then these conservatives who are still, you know, clinging to, to, uh, to Thomas Hobbes saying, no, 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 you're all wrong. People are evil. We got to have a lot of prisons. We got to have long sentences. We got to scare the crap out of people. You know, people go to prison in the UK or any, any European country. Uh, somebody commits a, a minor crime. You know, they, they uh, shoplift or something like that, or, or maybe even a middle minor crime. They break into somebody's house. In European countries, they go to jail for six months or a year. That's a hell of a long time if you've ever been in jail. I was in jail for 10 days back in the day. You know, got busted protesting the war in Vietnam. It seemed like forever. I was thinking about suicide. I mean, I was only 16 years old, 17 years old, but... You know, so they, you know, they do six months or a year and, and people come out going, whoa, don't want to do that again. We do like five years. Why? Because we believe in punishment. And then again, oh, workers want, you know, uh, health care. Workers want protections on the job. Workers want, workers want uh, decent wages. Workers want some flexibility in their work schedule. Why? Well, you can't have that. You've got to have people f- terrified. Compassion is not part of conservatism. I realize George W. Bush tried to brand this compassionate conservatism thing. It's an oxymoron. And Americans need to realize that. It's just that simple. Let's see here. Mike in Charleston, South Carolina. Hey, Mike, it says you disagree with me. So you go right to the front of the line. What's on your mind? I just have concerns about an economy run by um, Biden and Kamala Harris where they're going to be increasing taxes on people, gas prices. I mean, it's hard just to make ends meet right now. And unfortunately, I'm not a bartender or a, waiter or a musician playing live concerts with COVID. And the policies of Democrats have never really, in general, helped the paycheck of, of people that are working and not relying on the government a check or something like this. And I think uh, there's some real potential catastrophic consequences. Um, you know, Trump might be a jackass in his actions, but we need a secure border. We can't take care of the poor people we have in this country already. So first of all, raising taxes. You do realize that Donald Trump raised taxes on people making less than $70,000 a year. That tax increase kicks in next year, 2021, and every year until 2029 raises the taxes on working people in order to pay for the tax cut, that $1.5 trillion tax cut on billionaires, number one. Number two, I'm just a little baffled by this. The four decades in the United States when we had the strongest economy in the world and the strongest economy in American history, the decade of the 1940s, the 1950s, the 1960s, and the 1970s, all of them averaging greater than 3% annual GDP growth per decade. Huge growth. We built this country. We built the highway system. We built new schools. I'm old enough to remember, you know, I went to a brand new school in 1956 when I went to first grade. We did all that. And when I went to school, Eisenhower was president and the top tax rate was 91%. 
Now, when Nixon came into office, Lyndon Johnson, the you know two years before, had lowered that from 91% to 74%. But it was 74% in 1981 when Ronald Reagan came into office. So that entire four-decade, 40-year period, millionaires, billionaires, and basically any make, anybody making over $300 million a year, or maybe a half a million dollars a year, depending on the year, it changed from year to year, were paying a maximum tax rate of 74 to 91%. And the country was doing great, and the middle class was doing great, and we had enough money to build this country. Reagan drops it down to 25%, and what do we do? We stop rebuilding our roads, we stop rebuilding our bridges, we stop building new hospitals, we stop building new schools, we defund our schools, our classroom size goes from an average of 20 kids before that to around 30 or 40 now. All these crises happen, and you're saying, you know, and Joe Biden has said anybody who earns over $400,000 a year is not going to see a tax increase during my presidency, period. But I am going after the rich people. And you're saying yeah. that for some that's reason that's said. a bad idea? That's what he says. Okay, but the fact is, if you but have a the Republicans raise taxes on average working people. You know, Ronald Reagan doubled, doubled the uh, FICA tax. Reagan raised taxes over 30 times on average working people and cut tax, massively cut taxes on billionaires and millionaires. And then George W. Bush did the same thing. And then, well, it's true. I'll yeah. look it up. I mean, I mean, I mean, that's BS. The, the, the rich in this country have accountants and lawyers that make rules for themselves to keep their wealth. It's been that way forever. I wish we could get the rid of The way they make those rules for themselves is by buying off legislators. And right now, yeah, the, the party Democrat that is entirely Republican. owned by the billionaires is the Republican Party. The Democratic Party that's is only about lie. half owned that's by the billionaires. Lie. That's, that's a distortion of the truth, sir. They, they Name one Republican legislator. Okay, Mike, hang on just a second. Bernie Sanders proudly says, I take no money from corporations. So does Elizabeth Warren. So do, uh, you know, the, the hundred members of the Progressive Caucus in the U.S. House of Representatives. Please name for me one elected Republican official in either the House or the Senate who has proclaimed that he will not take money from, from billionaires or from corporations. He only takes money from, from his uh, constituents and average citizens. Uh, name I'd that person. Tim Scott. Uh, no, you're Tim wrong. Scott. Go to OpenSecrets.org and look it up. Tim Scott is heavily funded by big corporations. He's a Republican. Just because he's black doesn't mean that he's a progressive. He's a, he's a Republican. Your thing about the border then, Mike, let's talk about that. Reagan, prior to 1986 and Reagan's immigration reform, it was a crime to hire somebody who's not in this country legally, somebody who's not a citizen and has no legal right to be in this country. Reagan ended that and stopped enforcement of that law. And thus, mm -hmm. employers started running ads in Mexican magazines saying, come on up here to Iowa and work in our meatpacking plant so that we can break the union and destroy the wages in this area. From 1985, when Reagan did that, when meat packers were making 40, 50 bucks an hour in today's money, so much so that the Packers Union in Wisconsin started a football team called the Packers. So why not just go back to saying, we're going to put the employers in jail? This was Mitt Romney's idea, for God's sake. He called it, he said, people will self-deport when there's no work. Why not do that, Mike? Yeah. You've got 10 seconds. I, I, agree with, I agree with that totally. That's, that's a, okay. That's BS about and you won't need a wall then. Yeah, you won't need a wall, because who's going to come up if there's no job? This is the Tom Hartman Program. The place where despair is not an option. 
Larry in uh, Wheeling, Illinois. Hey, Larry, what's up? Hey, Tom. I listen to all this stuff just like everybody else does and hear the ridiculous rants about voter fraud. How about whenever someone, any Republicans, start spewing all this stuff about voter fraud, how about Democrats push back with tallies of how many voters were not able to vote because of removed polling places? They did People didn't want to stand in line long enough. Or ballots that didn't... Yeah, exactly. Change it from voter suppression to voter fraud. If that's the Republicans' magic word, fraud, use it against them. Uh, how many how many ballots didn't get postmarked on time? You know, it's totally upside down. Where you know right. the the fraud supposedly, according to Republicans, is after they've been postmarked, they shouldn't have been allowed to be counted because it, after a few days they should have cut it off. That's you know that's BS. So um, anyway. Um, and then, and then get into the stuff about how many sorting machines were removed, how many, how much uh, UPS overtime, removing mailboxes, removing voting places, all that stuff. I would like to see Schumer, whoever, you know, be stealing that as examples of okay, you want to hear about voter fraud? Here's the real voter fraud. Well, let's let's not forget that I don't recall if it was Greg Abbott or Dan Patrick, the lieutenant governor, but one of the senior officials in the Texas government has offered a million-dollar reward for anybody who can prove voter fraud. And it's like nobody's gotten the reward. Uh, it's like voter fraud is a really rare thing. I mean, who is going to take a chance on going to jail for a couple of years just to cast a vote? Nobody. I mean, it's just it's stupid to even believe that there are people who want to engage in voter fraud. Now, election fraud, on the other hand, is a thing you have. You know, uh, I mean, there's a lawsuit right now where Brian Kemp down in, in Georgia uh, threw 197,000 people off the voting rolls just before he ran against Stacey Abrams. And now we've got the list. They've run that list against the post office. And none of those, that 197,000 people, none of them have actually moved. They're all, they all still live at the same place, but they can't vote anymore because Brian Kemp saw it to it. And by coincidence, they're almost all in cities where there's black people in Georgia. Oh, my God. So yeah, election fraud is real. Voter fraud is a fantasy, a fever dream that the right wing has. Thanks so much for being with us this week. We'll be back uh, next week, same time, same place. In the meantime, don't forget democracy is not a spectator sport. It requires you. So show up, huh? Get out there, get active, tag, you're it. Have a great weekend. Be good to the people around you and find a good thing to do. We'll see you Monday. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.